I'm glad that you're here this morning. Um, if you want to, go ahead and grab your notes. You'll need a pen or a pencil. Uh, probably the easiest way is to use the online uh, version of the notes. So if you have the app, you can do it there uh, or through the website. Either way uh, is easy. And if you learn best by just listening, uh, that's fine too. Two quick announcements. Uh, one is this. Our Israel trip for 2020 is August the 29th through September the 8th. So it's a little bit earlier um, in 2020 than it was last year in 2019 for this reason. When we got there in November, uh, normally we do our trip right right here in the fall, but when we got there this time in November, we were trying to avoid uh, some of the hotter days and see if November would work. But November turns out to be one of the uh, most crowded times in Israel. And everywhere we went was literally shoulder to shoulder and you could not move in and out of different places. So we'd really rather tolerate just a little bit more heat and have more time to enjoy things as opposed to just uh, competing with so many people. So if you've had it in your heart to go, it's a wonderful time to go. We put together a fantastic trip. It will be our 15th trip uh, of taking a group from uh, Jubilee over, and we would love to have you go. If you would like information on it, so like the itinerary of what we do, uh, the cost of it, um, any question that you might have, my daughter uh, slash admin Amy will be out in the foyer and will be available. She'll have the information uh, with her. Um, let me just give you a personal invitation. If you have ever considered going, I think that every believer should go at least one time in their life. It's not a vacation. It's a pilgrimage. It's an opportunity for something spiritual uh, to take place in your life. And the reason that we take the time to do it every year is that there is a, there's a connection that I think can happen there for you that's hard to duplicate in other places. Not that the Holy Spirit is not everywhere at one time, but when you, when you, when you see for yourself the miracles that you hold dear in your heart, and when you when you're able to touch it for yourself and we're teaching on those things and you're standing right where it happened. You're on the Sea of Galilee, you're in Jerusalem, um, you know, wherever, the, we're baptizing in the Jordan. It's just, it's surreal, but it's, a, it, it's an opportunity for a spiritual connection and growth. And so I would just love, uh, love, love to take you and introduce you to the Holy Land if you're interested. Uh, it would begin with getting the information. So take the time to do that. And uh, I guess I would throw this out real quick too. I think this might be, may, maybe this is for some people, um, something that would be important to you. The trip has in the last few years begun to, um, just, just the word of mouth has spread so far for us that normally, um, you know, we're taking... Uh, 70, 80, 90 people, and there's two buses, and it's, you know, we make our own weather system now when we, when we go. It appears to me, subject to change, I cannot guarantee this, but it appears to me that this year is one of those, um, not off, but different years, where I, I don't think we're, it's a two-bus year, I think it's a single-bus year, a smaller trip, a more intimate trip, you know, maybe it's 30 or 35 people, uh, and if you would prefer that, this might be your year uh, to go. So I, um, I, obviously I can't guarantee that that'll be the number. Just doing it so many times, I can kind of judge how it's going and um, sort of what I'm hearing out there. And I think that's probably what this year looks like. So if that would appeal to you, make sure and stop and, um, and get that right there. And I think other than uh, that, I'm just going to go ahead and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into this here. Uh, here's, here's what we're doing. Teaching uh, on the book of Revelation. Now, I'm not going chapter to chapter and verse to verse. We simply don't have the time to do that. So what, what I'm doing is taking two or three chapters at a time, condensing that down, and then teaching two or three things from that. Uh, this weekend, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 6. So I'm going to try to do all of chapter 6 in one message. So I, I will just prepare you ahead of time. A lot of information, sobering information, um, a, a little bit, to use the word, kind of like uh, scary. I, I, I'm not sure that that's what I'm trying to do, and yet some of these things that we're going to talk about are, but they're sobering. There's just no question uh, about that. The title for the message, uh, How to Prepare for the End of the World. 
no hyperbole in that whatsoever. I'll let you decide when I get to the end of it whether or not um, it is that kind of an idea. And so maybe that's a good place to begin with just to be to say this. Um, you know, when, when we look at things that biblically have been prophesied, forecasted to us, the, what makes prophecy really powerful is that through space and time, when God says something or when he uses an individual to say something and that thing has not yet happened, but it's, it's put out there, it's, it's a specific, not sort of a generality, but a specific, when that thing comes to pass, how powerful is it to know that God knows right where we are in space and time? That, it, that he's not just like, you know, out there somewhere, uh, sort of, you know, around us, but, but not, you know, really involved specifically in, in history. This type of prophecy is very specific to our generation, to our space and time, and so it makes it powerful. Look, anybody can repeat history. It is uh, supernatural to be able to prophesy. Yeah. That's what it is. And so that's where this becomes powerful as we begin to teach on it. But because of what I'm going to teach on today, it does deal with future events that will happen on this earth, not might happen, could happen, uh, should happen. These are things that because God said it, it will happen. Um, and there's some specifics and some of them are heavy. Then um, the natural mind wants to ask this question, how do I prepare for these events? How do I, where, where do I position myself? How do I get ready for this? And then the natural mind, listen to what I'm saying. The natural mind then starts thinking in terms of, okay, um, how, how can I save up enough food? What, what kind of currency? Uh, a lot of people, including some of my friends, ha have got this idea that, um, that, that precious metals will be the things to have in, in case of you know, some type of an economic collapse. I would just throw out to you that, um, you know, if you prepare physically and you have the biggest generator and you have the only lights, don't, where do you think the marauding hordes are coming to? It's, uh, you know, you, you can't go deep enough in the ground. You're not going to be able to. See. So here, here's my thought just real quickly. Trying to prepare for a spiritual event in a physical way is a mistake. While, while I think that you should do anything you think is necessary to be prepared for anything that could happen. I, I think, I, look, I grew up in the South. We had hurricanes in the South. It was just, it was common practice, knowledge, wisdom to have some kind of a hurricane kit in your trunk. You kept fresh water. You kept a flashlight that had fresh batteries, a radio that, could, you, that you could find out information. Those, those were normal things that, that you did. I'm not talking about that type of, of preparation. I'm talking about people that think that somehow by hoarding, saving, building, that you can do something to, to go through end-time events and you're, you're uh, if I get enough guns... And it gets real quiet because I know some of my audience. Thank you for being my friend still with that. I, I know, um, I, I just know. So I'm, I'm just saying to you, that is not the way to prepare for a spiritual issue. If, if this is a spiritual thing that God is doing, then you have to prepare for it spiritually. Does that make sense? And so that's where I'm sort of giving you the crux of the message, and that's where we'll go. So, uh, Revelations chapter 6. I don't know, my mouth is super dry today. Let me get some water. Uh, Revelations chapter 6. I'm going to read uh, the first eight verses, and then we'll, we'll kind of go down, and I'm going to cherry pick a little bit. Uh, through some of the other verses. Um, uh, uh, let me set it up. So last week we did chapter 4 and chapter 5, and what we, what we were experiencing then is that John the disciple, in a revelation, an open revelation, he's not having a dream, he's not asleep, he's wide awake, um, he's on an island called Patmos, he's been sent there because of preaching the gospel and uh, staying true to his faith, he's being punished, he's in exile, and it, it literally begins in Revelation 1, uh, I, John, on the Lord's day, um, uh, saw Jesus. And in that uh, opportunity, the Lord just opens up to him a picture that while his eyes are open, it's called an open revelation, not a closed one where you're sleeping and it's a dream. It's an open revelation. Like, like I can look out and see you. 
I could also see this revelation that's happening. Do you, do you get it? So he's seeing this thing in front of him play out. He's actually a part of it. He's standing in it. He's not watching it from a distance. Um, Jesus begins to uh, dictate to him uh, letters in the beginning to, to churches. I think those churches were not just churches that existed then. I think it's the spirit of the church today that Jesus is trying to, to speak to us directly. I encourage these things. I want you to get rid of these things. It was, a, it was really powerful. The second part of the message then, we moved into uh, John being drawn into the very throne room of God. And John, as a human, is trying to describe supernatural things. And the best he can do is use words to try to paint pictures of angelic beings. So that when we read Revelations, one of the reasons it's confusing to us is that we're reading it, a human is trying to describe the, 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 the finite, is trying to, to accurately tell us what the infinite looks like. Uh, humanity, describing divinity. How hard is that? And if you saw it, what, were, what, what possible adjective could you use to describe what Jesus looks like? Emoji. <laughs> what, you, do you get what I'm, so when we read it, I'm, I'm, of course I'm being a little funny, but when we read it, part of Revelation is just direct. It's Jesus saying these things, John writing it down. That's easy to understand. But when he's drawn into this picture of the very throne room of God, and he's trying to describe angelic beings who have particular jobs in the throne room, he doesn't have the words as a human to describe it. So we read it, and we're, we're confused. What does that mean? Well, put yourself in those... What would you do? You're limited with your language. You're limited with your brain. So you write down the best that you can what you're seeing, but already knowing it's going to fall short of how awesome it is. And then John sees Jesus, and when he describes Jesus, he says two things. I saw a lamb who looked like he was slain, so he sees what Jesus did, and then he describes him as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, in all of his glory, and it's powerful. Yes. And Jesus is found worthy. And there's a scroll in heaven that to open the scroll releases into our future events that are going to happen. And so an angel cries out, who's worthy to read, to open and read this scroll? And John begins to weep because no one is found worthy. And then Jesus, who is worthy, uh, is handed the scroll. And there are seven seals. Literally, uh, you would see it as those um, uh, wax seals with the signet of a king put on it so that only the person it's for has the authority to open it. So there are seven seals on this scroll. And these seven seals are where we come to now in Revelation chapter 6. Jesus begins to open the seven seals. And one by one, by the way, I think they're in order. I don't think they're random. I think this happens first, this happens second, this happens. Does that make sense? And so that's what we're going to look at today. So Jesus is opening these seals. There are seven of them. Uh, chapter 6 gets through six of those seals. The seventh seal is not until chapter 8. Um, I, we'll have to see how this goes over the next couple of weeks. Here's the other problem. The series is only two more weeks, and I'm only a quarter of the way through the book. So it may have to wait for another, another day and another time, and yeah, we'll have to go from there. And if it happens in the meantime, no harm, no foul, we'll be in heaven. So um, here's, here's, uh, here's what Revelation 6, 1 through 8 says um, from where I just left you. Uh, as I watched, John is speaking, as I watched the Lamb, Jesus, uh, he, he broke the first of seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder. This represents the idea that there's great authority. A transition is about to happen. So this gets everyone's attention as this being begins to, to say this. And his words are, come, let this happen. Do it now. And then, and then he describes this. I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow. Notice it does not say he has arrows, only that he has a bow. And a crown was placed upon his head. He didn't take the crown. The crown was given to him. And he rode out to win many battles and to gain the victory. That means that this uh, rider, this person, this event, uh, it, this, this person has been given authority 
And by the way, so that you understand this, this authority is not from the devil. God has given this person the authority to do the things that are about to take place. And so this is going to fly in the face of seeing God as just this, he's just this loving entity in heaven who, who is just soft. God may be loving, but God is also holy, just, righteous, and the judge of everything. So whatever he does is righteous. And the only reason I point this out, what's about to take place is not God losing control. It's God actually being in control of everything that's going on. So I looked up, I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow. Uh, a crown was placed upon his head. He rode out to win many battles and to gain the victory. Uh, when the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Uh, its rider was given a mighty sword, not just a sword, but a powerful sword, perhaps a sword to do things that have never been done in the earth before. And he's been given the authority by God to take peace from the earth, to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. It flies in the face a little bit of the idea that, that God uh, never takes action about anything. Okay. Uh, when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, come, or in other words, now. I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. The scales represent uh, economy, uh, economic, uh, what we live with in the world as far as its economy, the way that it works. When you see justice um, on any courthouse, justice is blind but holding scales. Those scales weigh what's right and what's wrong. The other meaning for scales is that uh, in ancient times, scales were used as merchants weighed out what you were buying. So the representation here is, is economy, economics. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, come, I looked up and saw a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. Uh, and I heard a voice from amongst the four living beings say this. So it gives a formula for an economy that's gone uh, in trouble. A loaf of uh, wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And then this little um, promise, um, like this just seems to be so out of, I mean, we have this picture of this economic meltdown and then and don't waste the olive oil and the wine. If you read it out of the NIV or the New King James Version, it's God saying you're not allowed to touch the oil and the wine. What's the oil and the wine? It represents the church. So in the middle of all these things going on, God has a preservation for his people. That, I should have had a better amen from you. For, so why, why should you care? Are you part of the church? And do you want to be protected? Now, it does not mean that these things leave you unscathed, but it does mean in the middle of them, uh, this is why you prepare spiritually for this. To prepare physically, you, you, you will be run over by a tidal wave. But to prepare spiritually for this, there will be some type of a protection is the only thing that I can say by decree. Uh, and then I heard a voice from amongst the four living beings saying a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay and don't waste or don't touch the olive oil and the wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, come or now. I looked up and I saw a horse whose color was pale green. So by the way, um, it's not to be morose and not to be gross here, but the color of death, a corpse when it begins to decay, turns pale green. Okay? That's, that's what this is right here. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. And these two were given authority. Again, they didn't take the authority. They were given the authority over one-fourth of the earth. Think about that for a moment. To kill with the sword and famine, disease, and wild animals. The idea being that simply even nature at that point is not in order. So um, you read that and uh, you, you know if you've happened to make it all the way to chapter 6, you read this and you're just like, okay, that's enough for 2020. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Uh, is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it a spiritual thing that will happen and we'll just see the fallout from it? 
Uh, will we even be here to see it? All of those things become pertinent to this. And so um, I'll do my best to try to teach what I think it means. You're free to disagree with me. I'm right, you're wrong, but you're free to, uh, <laughs> to go your way. So the first one, if you want to write it in, the white horse. Revelation 6.2 talks about the white horse. Okay, uh, are these literal horses? I don't think so. Uh, I think that uh, the picture here that John's describing, I'll, t- I'll tell you why I don't think they're literal. Um, I think that they're literally things that will happen on the earth, but I don't think it's a literal horse and a rider. I think it's a spiritual entity that's given authority by God to do these things on the earth. And at that time and in that place, a commander of an army rode the horse. So the one who had the authority, if you were in battle, what you look to, uh, the one holding the sigil, right? And the one holding the sigil, it had to be raised up high. And if you couldn't find the sigil to know where the battle was and what to be doing, you looked for your commander on the horse. The commander on the horse is what you followed. So what's being described here then is that this, this is an authority that's been given the right to come to the earth and do these things. And John in trying to describe what he's seeing, he sees this thing. So, Pastor, why don't you think they're literal? Because I don't think there's a red horse. I don't think that there's a pale green horse. I think that he's describing uh, an entity that he sees. So, by the way, Pastor, what what do you mean by entity? If you just go back to the Old Testament and you look when uh, Egypt uh, had the children of Israel in bondage, the last of the plagues was the angel of death. Literally, the title that the Bible gives it was the angel of death. And if you remember, uh, a lamb was sacrificed and you took the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorpost of the house so that the angel of death would pass over. That's where the Passover comes from. But this is true. We never talk about this. Nothing's ever mentioned about this. If you did not have that blood on your house, that angel destroyed thousands upon ten thousands in a matter of hours. One angel and not an archangel. What if these are archangels? What if these are mighty beings who with, with the breath of their mouth can wreak havoc? So we always think of all that God does as being this like they're here to serve me. They're here to serve God. And they operate in his authority. And ultimately God will judge unrighteousness unrighteousness. He will judge the enemy and he will judge those who reject truth. So that's, this is a picture that we have going on here. So this white horse, here's the three things that I want you to hear uh, about the rider on this white, white horse. The first one is he has a bow, but he has no arrows. Okay, so what does this mean? Throughout history, uh, the, the bow represented uh, military might, military might. Um, but it specifically, and in fact, if you look at any, uh, not any, but other translations, it makes mentions of the fact that he has no arrows. So what is this telling us? This writer, whoever this person is, and I'll tell you in a moment who I think it is, whoever this person is, is able to come on the earth and he will have a lot of authority and a lot of might, but he won't have to use any force to have people follow him. He'll have to, he, he will be so charismatic He will have the answer to so many problems. Uh, By the way, this is not a U.S. thing, a North American thing. It's a worldwide thing. My thought would be simply this, that if we found ourselves in a time of of truly uh, difficult chaos on the face of the earth, and there were no answers, and things got worse and worse, and in fact, people were worrying about where their very next meal was coming from, if there was an economic meltdown, so that your paper money was, was pretty much valueless, and, and you found yourself, that because of the fact that none of those things are working, disease began to be rampant, uh, people would panic. And if a person could come on the scene who not only had the answers, but could put in place the answers, people would follow that person readily, quickly. And in fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 24. Had God himself not decided to shorten those days, even the very elect in the church would follow this person. Because it will appear to be right. This person will appear to be miraculous. Not just a, a human, but a divine person. So here, here's the question. In Revelations 19, when we see Jesus, the next time we see Jesus, he's riding a white horse. 
So is this person Jesus? No, for these two reasons. Jesus doesn't come at the beginning. He comes at the end. When Jesus comes at the end, peace comes with Jesus. This person doesn't bring peace on the earth. They bring disaster on the earth, right? And then this is true too. This person has a bow, but this is what it says about how Jesus will conquer, that he has a sword in his mouth, which is the word of God. And by his word, it will put everything right and in place. So these are two different people. Who is this person then, pastor? I think this is the picture of the antichrist. I think he's probably alive today. I think he's somewhere on the scene and his time to step into history is not yet because to step in right now, nobody has any reason to follow or listen to him. But if there were some type of meltdown that's being painted here, it would put a person in a position for people to follow him. Okay, it also says that he has a crown that's been given to him. This is a picture of a person who, who is mighty, who will be given authority, who people will, will willingly, gladly, and wholeheartedly put over them, over government, over... Uh, so I know that's... It, we, we look at a government that's 250 years old and we say to ourselves, uh, it will always be here. First of all, just history tells us it hasn't always been here. In terms of the world itself, it's such a short-lived government. But even you just lived through this past week, the very fact that things could fall out of control very quickly in our lifetimes, yes or no? Very quickly. And we live, our country lives within its borders in relative safely com compared to much of the rest of the, the rest of the world is burning in many ways. While the U.S. is in this great, and so we think, this could never happen, friend. Like life and death, it exists on a very thin line. That when you're on this side of it, it appears to be so permanent, but that thing can be cut in a moment. And so to think to yourself, well, this could never happen. Oh, you're free to think whatever you want to, but there's a reason this is here for us to look at. And then this last thing about this writer, he's a conqueror bent on conquest. He will have many conquests. In fact, what will be confusing about this person is that you would think, uh, man, if that, was, if that was the enemy of God, surely God would stop this person from being so successful. But if it's part of God's plan, ultimately to judge unrighteousness and to judge, to pull the enemy out and to once and for all vanquish the enemy, then you have to understand what's going on here is not God being out of control. God is allowing this thing to prosper for a time to fulfill his word. But I'm telling you, this person will be as though they can do no wrong and they will have victory after victory after victory, answer after answer after answer, miracle after miracle after miracle, so that even the very elect will look and think to themselves, it will be so incredible. People will look and, and if it's possible, they could be fooled. And, and if I could just talk for a minute, the very first thing in Matthew 24, when Jesus is asked, what's the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That's Matthew 24. The context is now everything he says has to do with the end of the age. The very first thing that Jesus says is, watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out that you... So it, it, it has to be possible then that the people who love God can be deceived. Yes or no? Jesus isn't saying this to the earth. He's not saying it to pagans. He's saying it to people who love him. You've got to be on your guard against deception. Yes. And, it's, and I say that and we think to ourselves, well, of course, I'm, now that you've told me the clues, I'll be watching for it. It won't be like that. It will be as like, to, to say yes to what I'm saying would be to say yes to, to living in chaos to follow this person will make it seem like the only way out of this chaos is to follow this person. And God doesn't want me to suffer. I just said something really powerful right there. Uh, yeah, okay. So let's move on because I see how excited you are about the white horse. Um, <clears throat> it gets worse. The red horse. <laughs> what time is it? 9.56. Um, so uh, Revelation 6, 4 uh, talks about the red horse and it says these things about the, the rider and the red horse that he has a large sword, not just a sword, but a large sword and he's given authority to take peace. So it doesn't say to bring war, but to take peace. So we, how would you take peace from a place? 
So just a few thoughts, not, look, my opinion only on this, whatever. But um, one of the things that we live with today, um, power grids that are, we're now realizing how easily they're attacked. Uh, an internet system that we are completely dependent on for our day-to-day activity and how things work. And if both of those things were to be taken down for any length of time, do you know that your grocery store would have no food? Your gas station would have no gas. Think about it for just, we exist on a very fine line of everything needing to keep going forward. And to take peace is not simply to send an army in to do something. You take peace when you take people's comfort. When you take their, uh, their ability to lay down and sleep at nighttime. When you take their heat. Do I make? So this, this thing has been given authority to take peace. Not to just bring war, but to take peace. Uh, when it says a big sword, the idea here is to, to have a weapon or a tool that's never been used before. So what is, I, I don't know what that is. You, your imagination could go anywhere that you want to go. I'm just simply saying what it's describing to us, this is not a normal thing where we know how to deal with it. This will be something we don't know how to deal with. It will confound the smartest minds. And it will seem to be like nothing can be done about this. And that's why that rider on the white horse, when everybody, when the brightest minds, the greatest think tanks have to admit we can't do anything about it. And then this person comes on the scene and says, I can. And the cost of it is that I need the authority of your government. What do you think would happen? That could never happen here. Uh, third one is a black horse. Revelation 6, 5 through 6. Describes a black horse uh, and a rider. And it gives us a little bit of uh, detail. Uh, a formula, so to speak, of an economic meltdown. And it just simply says that this rider holds scales which represent uh, commerce. Uh, it represents uh, econ- economy. And then it gives us a formula so that we realize what's being said about it. Um, I I saw a black horse, its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hands. Go to the next verse right there. Uh, And I heard a voice from amongst the four living beings saying, a loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. Okay, it could be either one of these things. Either money has become so devalued that an entire day's pay only buys a loaf of bread or, listen to this, Our food has become so scarce that it's so expensive. Is it both? I'm I'm not exactly sure, but it gives us a formula. But then it also, in the middle of this very sobering, prophetic telling... It says this, don't waste, uh, the only reason um, that I use the NLT is because we've gone to teaching from the NLT and I know many people have bought that translation now because that's what we teach from. This is one place where I don't like the translation in the NLT when it says don't waste the olive oil. Almost every other translation, it's God speaking a, a promise, don't touch the wine and the oil. And the wine and the oil represents his people. And I think what God is saying is, you hear this message, and I see people's brows are furrowed right now like, crap. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sorry. I know that's not pulpit language. I bet you'll say worse if this happens. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, um, you don't have to email me. I know it's bad. Um, I won't do it again. Um, <clears throat> so um, it, it, we have this picture where it says, don't touch it. I, this is what I believe. I believe we hear this message, and, and of course, in our natural minds, it could cause, it's sobering, and it could cause us to worry. And what God says right in the middle of it, as though he's throwing a lifeline, is he's telling these beings who've been given authority to do all these things, I do not give you authority to harm my people. 
So in the middle of that, I'm, I've, I've got a protection for them. Thank you. I've got a, a hedge around them. There's a wall that's there. You're not allowed to do this. When, when Satan um, goes to God and God says, uh, have you considered my servant Job? You remember that God, the devil, it's not evil versus good. The devil is a created being. That God is the only eternally existing. Uh, that, that's it. And so the enemy is, the, this is terrible wording, but the devil is God's devil. If you understand what I mean by it. He's not like some, some being who's fighting and has a chance to win. This is all spelling out how it's going to, look, if you want to cut through all this, go to the very last chapter. Okay, we win. We win. Now there's some stuff that happens between, but we win. We come out the winners and the devil is put away, man. He is done with. So this is not, get that picture. But when, when we have um, in Job, God tells the enemy, the enemy says, well, of course he serves you. Look at all that you've blessed him with. So God says, okay, you can, you can touch his stuff, but you can't touch him. So the enemy is under, he doesn't have free reign to go do what he wants to. And that's, that's this picture right here that God is saying to these created angelic beings, you can go this far and not one foot further. Don't touch them. Now, it does not mean that in the middle of that, these things won't have an effect on you. We live in an economy that when the economy goes up, we do good. And when the economy goes down, we go down. Right? Serving Jesus doesn't preclude uh, the cost of gasoline. Like, you can't go into, hey, I'm a believer. Thank you for the free gas. It doesn't work. You can't write to public service, I love Jesus. Thank you for the free electricity. It doesn't work that way, does it? You are subject to what happens in the economy. But this is saying that these things can only come so far in your life. And if you're prepared spiritually, look at me, you will be okay. There's a sifting that happens here. This is a, the, the Bible says that there are multitudes in the valley of decision. It'll leave people in a valley of decision. Who am I going to follow and what do I believe? It will be costly, not might be. It will be costly to be a Jesus lover. Are you still in? If it becomes costly, are you, it, do you do it because it's easy? Because there's no cost to it? You know what that makes you? It makes you a fan, not a follower. Are you a fan or a follower? I don't know. I can't look at you and tell. Part of the problem with this is because we're not in that place, you don't have the grace to know how you'd make it in a day like that. It's impossible to know, but you can prepare spiritually. Prepare spiritually. Okay, I, I'm going to run out of time. Um, for a pale horse, Revelation 6, 8, if you want to pull it up real quick, I'll just... Uh, I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his companion was the grave. Uh, these two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, famine, disease, and wild animals. So the reason that I point out the, the second one is given the power to take peace. This one uses more war. The other one takes peace, and they're two different things. Remember peace. Take your comfort, and you take someone's peace. Uh, this one is, is war. It's wars and rumors of wars. It's nation against nation, brother against brother, house against a house. Um, here's the thought with this, and I won't spend much time with this one, but it just simply says that this being is given authority uh, to take out one quarter of the earth's population. So at the end of 2019, there were approximately 8 billion people on this planet. If you just did the math real quick, that's 2 billion people. We are so number shocked that I say that and not one person even. 2 billion people. What would the earth be like in that type of a trauma? Okay, the fifth and the sixth seal. These are just the first four seals. Yay! 
the fifth and the sixth seal, um, maybe this is where I'll transition. Dang it. Um, there's just no way to, uh, I'm going to have to edit. So um, I'll do this. Um, Pastor, will we be here? the church, God's people, will we be here to see these things? So this is where then, um, if you're unfamiliar with the terminology, what, what our belief is, is that there is um, a rapture of the church. Now, if you were to like look in your concordance for the word rapture, the word rapture does not appear anywhere in the Bible. But through the Bible, there are different places, like in Thessalonians, uh, like in Revelation, like in John, like in Matthew 24, where Jesus himself teaches um, that the voice of the archangel will cry out and one will be left and one will be taken. It gives a picture. The word rapture means to be caught up. Uh, the Bible says in Thessalonians that we shall not all die, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, quicker than it takes for you to blink. You put off mortality and put on immortality. And Paul even says, look, it's, it's, it's mysterious. We don't understand all of these things. But he's just talking about the fact that, that God, there'll be a change uh, in humanity and in history when God calls his church out of those things. Where does it take place? So if you have any knowledge of what I'm talking about right now, so there, are, there are four ideas on when the, the, the rapture happens. Um, and they use it in conjunction with the term tribulation. Okay? So people think uh, a pre-trib rapture, pre-trouble, um, will be raptured, will be caught up to be with uh, Jesus. So a pre-trib person is a blue sky person. Uh, it would be, um, it'll be a perfect day. Temperatures, you know, 78, humidity's low, you're in your brand new S-Class Mercedes, uh, you come on to 470 and they finally got it fixed, <laughs> right? No more construction, no sign, no, if you have a map, there's no yellow things all over the place, it's all, it's green. And when there should be traffic, there's no traffic. So as you accelerate uh, to get the most out of your car onto the highway, a trumpet sounds, and you drive the Mercedes right into the kingdom of heaven, and ta-da, I'm there. And you never suffered any issue whatsoever. And of course, I'm being facetious, but that's what some people tend to believe. So, uh, we, we will suffer no problem, no trouble, nothing at all. Uh, it will be much like it is right this moment, and boom. And then there's people who believe in a mid, uh, somewhere in the middle of the tribulation, uh, God will uh, call us. And then some people believe in a post that after all of these things, this period of time on the earth lasts exactly seven years. Uh, Daniel uh, prophesies that. Revelations says that. Um, it, it's a seven-year time period at three and a half years. Three and a half years, everything is gone well for this rider of the first horse. And in the second three and a half years, he turns against Israel and brings the nations of the earth against Israel. And God's wrath is poured out at this time. So we have tribulation and then we have wrath. Uh, some people believe that at the end of this wrath period, God will call his church out. And then the fourth theory is the pan theory. What's that? That if you don't know, somehow it'll all pan out in the end and we'll, we'll figure it out. Okay, what do I believe? Here's, here's what I believe, and here's why I believe this, this to be true. These first four that we just read are not God's wrath. How do I know that? The fifth seal begins with the martyrs who, prior to this time, have given their life for the cause of Christ, who have remained true to their faith. When, when the Romans were persecuting the church and through history, when the church has been persecuted. And by the way, listen to this statistic. More people are being martyred for their faith today than ever before in the history of the world. Today. But you live in a place where you might get made fun of a little bit. It might be becoming more and more unpopular. But no one in this country, for the most part, is martyred for their faith. But there are places in the Middle East today places in North Korea and in China and in Iran where if you confess that you're a believer, they'll throw you in jail at the minimum. They'll beat you. They'll mistreat you. They'll mark you. And in some cases, they will kill you. And it is happening today and I am not making it up and I'm not trying to be brutal. I'm just telling you, this is not something that might start happening. It is happening today. 
It just doesn't touch you. You'll go to sleep tonight and not know the difference. Wow. You'll sleep tonight in peace and not know that 6,000 miles away, someone is losing their head for their faith. Think about that. Pastor, I wanted something on prosperity and faith, and I'm actually, I'm actually being a really good pastor to you right this moment. I'm actually being your friend right this minute. I'm not worried about my reputation. I'm not preaching to you to make it another weekend. I'm trying to care for your soul right this minute. Honest to God, I'm trying to care for your soul right now. All right. So... At the beginning of this fifth seal, the martyrs who are in the throne room, the Bible says in the throne room, cry out to God, how much longer until you avenge what's happened? How much longer? They're saying, God, how much longer will you put up with this? And then God says this, um, a white robe was given to each of those martyrs. And they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be, future tense, to be martyred, had joined them. So God is saying to them, look, I'm going to judge this and I'm going to take care of this, but not quite yet. There are still some who are going to be martyred who are going to join you. And we think of those like, that's the most terrible thing that could happen. It's because we live our whole life in the paradigm of 70 or 80 years, and eternity is a long time to be honored by God. You didn't hear what? To be honored by God. Not to just be in heaven, but to be pointed out as this one deserves a special place here. Because they held on to their faith and didn't love their life even to death. It'll be all worth it at that point. All right, so, so at, this, at this seal, this fifth seal, uh, then things begin to change. The sixth seal comes right here. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became uh, as dark as black cloth. The moon became as red as blood. Uh, then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree that's been shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll. All of the mountains and the islands were moved from their places. Uh, everyone, look at this wording here, everyone that's left on the earth, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, every slave, every free, all hid themselves in the caves and amongst the rocks of the mountains. And here's what they say. Uh, they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the, what's the word? The wrath of the Lamb. So these two things real quickly. Um, <clears throat> people will not be, hey, what's going on? Why is this happening? What, they, here's what they're claiming. Hide us from the wrath of the one who's doing these things. So people will know that it's God. Suicide is not an option. They're crying. Let's this, get between us and this thing that's happening to us. Listen real quickly, right? And then it points out that this is wrath. Okay, are we here for God's wrath? Uh, dude, I'm so sorry for going so fast. Uh, pull up my next scripture real quick. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God did not appoint us, the church, to suffer, what's the word? But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you are not created to suffer God's wrath. God's wrath is for the enemy. God's wrath are for people who reject him and who hate him and don't want him. That's who the wrath is hitting. God's people are not here to suffer his wrath. But the first four writers, according to that scripture I just read you, are not God's wrath. That's the time of trouble or tribulation. So I believe in a mid-trib rapture, I think we will be here to see economic problems. I think we will be here to see peace taken from the earth. I think we will be here to see this person rise into power. How far along? I'm not exactly sure, but I think you will see it with your eyes. I think that you will see calamities happening in many different places, and it may well touch the U.S. I, I don't know where the U.S. is in all of that. I have no idea where the U.S. is in this. It doesn't say that clearly, but this is not some Israel issue. 
okay? This is, this is a much wider issue that's going on. And I think before his wrath is poured out, God says to the church, okay, uh, you went through the trouble. This is taken care of. Now come be with me. And then his wrath is poured out on the earth. And then we move into this eighth, uh, the seventh seal. And I don't have time to go there. Oh, no, I know, but... Uh, and then there's, see, there's people pulling in right now and they're like, this, I, that pastor, uh, this is the tribulation. The tribulation's happening. Um, <clears throat> Rear digest. John 5, 24 uh, is, is uh, assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. God has not ordained you to, to be judged with wrath. That is not God's purpose and plan for you. So fear not on this issue right here. But then this becomes the most important thing in the way that I'll close this. Remember I said that the, the name of my message is how to prepare for the end of the world. So Matthew 24. This is, this is what I, I said to you. I'm sorry for going so fast. Um, Matthew 24, uh, in the first, just, just the first three verses, um, uh, the disciples and Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all these things happen and what sign will signal your return and the end of the earth? The very first thing that Jesus says is, don't let anyone mislead you. Many will come in my name claiming to be the Messiah. So that first writer will claim to be the Messiah. Then Jesus says this right after that, because I think the order of the horses is the same order that we have right here uh, in Matthew 24. So don't let anyone deceive you. Um, uh, and then he says this, you will hear of wars and threats of wars and it will steal peace off of the earth. And then he says this, nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, earthquakes in many parts of the world. But this is only the beginning of birth pains more to follow. Then you'll be persecuted, he says, just in the order of what those horses were. And then Jesus goes down and he teaches things that will be happening in that day and in that time. He even mentions this, about that day and hour, no one knows except the Father in heaven. But you can know the season and the signal of the season when you see the fig tree bloom you'll know that you're in the season. Throughout history, the fig tree biblically was always the nation of Israel. And Israel did not exist during our, in, in the broader term of when I say our lifetime, in the broader term of our lifetime, Israel didn't exist. 2,000 years ago, the Romans kicked the Jews out, changed the name of Israel, turned it into a pagan capital, knocked down everything that had to do with any Jewish ideology and culture, uh, moved in nothing but pagans. And for 2,000 years, uh, the diaspora was causing Jews to live all over the face of the earth, not allowed to return to the nation of Israel. And in 1948, using pagan people and laws, God resurrected this nation to be. And the blooming of the fig tree happened. So we live in the season today. We're, these, we're in that season. How long is that season? I have no idea. Will I live and die and not see these things? Possibly, and yet it could happen this week. I don't know for sure. But the point is, you don't get ready by having a date on your calendar that you mark off. So that you can live like hell right up until that point. Woohoo! <laughs> Matthew 25. So Matthew 24 is what I'm just reading to you. In verse 42 of 24, Jesus said, you must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the son of man will come when he is least expected. Then we go into chapter 25, which is not another day and another time. Remember, these are letters. So, so chapter 24 and chapter 25 is all part of one conversation Jesus is having. And in chapter 25, he tells this story about being ready. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgin or bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. You're the bride, he's the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five of them were wise, but they were all brides. This is important. They were all part of the church. Listen, um, 
Five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps. The other five who were wise took enough oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they all fell asleep. So here's what's being predicted, that people in the church will become complacent because it will take so long for Jesus to return. People will begin, they'll know it in their brains, but not live it in their hearts. And then when it happens, when the call goes out, people will not, they'll try to wake themselves. Okay, I'm going to get ready. But this is what it predicts will happen. At midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming at midnight, not at midday. Midnight, when bridegrooms aren't supposed to come. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. The five foolish ones asked the five wise ones, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves while you can. While they were away buying oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage supper of the lamb, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But Jesus called back, believe me, I don't know who you are. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. It's very sobering. It's very serious. It's not sugar-coated. It's, um, it's not dumbed down. It's not palatable. It's not easy to take in and go, oh, that feels so good. It feels the opposite, like yikes. And that's what's meant to happen. Go yikes. And what's predicted here is that because this event takes so long, all, all in the church become complacent. Oh, how do we stop that? And is there a way? I'm not sure, but I do know this. The only cure was to have enough oil, which is the Holy Spirit, so that when the call came out, you could get yourself up and get ready. And now I'm asking you, look at me. Are you ready? I'm not twisting your arm and I'm not trying to manipulate you emotionally. I didn't ask you if you're ready to join church. I didn't ask you if you're ready to be good. I didn't ask you if you're ready to reform. I asked you if you're ready, if the call come out today that Jesus is close. Are you ready? You can reject it. You can say, I, I, I don't believe a loving God would do things like that. It's all God's mercy. To fully tell you ahead of time, look, these things are coming, and here's what they're about, and you need to be ready. That's mercy, man. And I don't know any other way to say this to you. Uh, I'm not trying to be a heavy-handed person. I, I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I, I, don't, I don't want you to give me anything. Um, I'm not trying to take an offering. There's no, there's no gain here is what I'm saying for me personally other than trying to be a good pastor right now and say to you, are you ready? Has complacency become your way of living your Christian life? These bridesmaids... We're all dressed the same, all coming from the same place, all a part of the same tribe and language and belief system. But five of them were prepared and five of them weren't. And the cost was monumental. And so I stand right now somewhere between the altar and heaven pleading for you. What do you say to this? Can you push this away? Can you go home and go to bed tonight just like, eh, dude, you're complacent. You're spiritually complacent. And you may think that makes me rude and that makes me harsh. I will risk being misunderstood to push you a little bit right this minute. Are you complacent?
is the status quo sort of, I'm okay. Are you? I don't know. I can't tell. There's no oil dipstick. I can't. I wish there was. My goodness, I wish there was. Let me check. There's not. All I can do is tell me what God says to you when I ask that question. Are you ready? Not how are you dressed, not are you faithful, not are you given money, not did you sing the songs, not did you tolerate me. Are you ready, Dan? Are you ready? What will you do with that? So Jesus, Father, I just, with all humility, Folks, I know I come across like so bold sometimes and just so like, just like straight ahead marching. It's not, it's not from a hard heart. It's just the opposite. It's from a really tender place inside of my heart a place that isn't trying to teach for reputation right now where you pat me on the back and go oh what a great communicator you are I'm not doing this for accolades in any way shape or form I'm not doing this to pad what you think about me I'm doing this because I'm your pastor And because I've been charged with the care of your soul. And because my job is to get a bride ready. Did you know that? It's to get a bride ready. To get rid of every spot and every wrinkle is what the Bible says. So that that bride is ready to present herself to the bridegroom. So I speak from that place only right now. Trying to just care, it's soul care. Are you ready? And I don't know the answer, only you know the answer. And I'm not trying to to manipulate you. It's not like emotional terrorism right now that I'm trying to operate from. It is from just, how's your soul? Are you complacent spiritually? Don't answer that question by telling me that you're doing what everybody else is doing. That was the problem with five of those bridesmaids. They were doing what everybody else was doing, except they didn't have their hearts ready. How's your heart? Proverbs 4 says, above all else, guard your heart, because from your heart comes your life story. How's your story? What's going on in you right now? And if God wanted to do business with you right now over this issue, what's your answer? Would you say yes? Or would you push it off? So for those who hear God talking to them, just listen real quick. Your eyes are closed and your head is bowed for a reason because this isn't for anybody else's consumption. This doesn't, this isn't for anybody else to know about or to judge you. This is between you and the Father alone. How's your heart? And if you say, Pastor, While you're talking right now, something touches my heart. I know I'm not ready. I know I'm not prepared. Just be honest, you've become complacent. The status quo, the passion is ebbed. You you still go through the motions and you still show up 
but the passion. Measure it by the passion. How are you? And if you just said, Pastor John, please pray for me. I need God's mercy and I need his help. I, I, I hear this, but I don't know how. I, I don't know how to wake myself up. I don't know how to shake myself awake. I don't know how to escape complacency. What you need is for God's grace to fall on you and to touch your heart so that if that's you and you said, Pastor, pray for me today. Pray for me. That's me. Pray for me. Just raise your hand right now if you need. John, pray for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, look, how about this? If you wish you'd raise your hand, raise it right now. Just raise it. Be bold. Okay, you can put them back down. It's many of us, if not most of us, honestly. I didn't count. I didn't take the time to, but it was most of us. What an honest, honest answer that is. Thank you for your honesty. Father, for every person who just says, God, help me, do that. Help us. God, give us your grace to change our hearts. Give us your grace to reignite that passion. Give us your grace, God, so that our hearts wait in anticipation for Jesus. Not to believe that it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But to take it, hey, this is serious. It's literal. It's God calling me. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. What will you do with it? God, I just seal this right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Thank you very much for listening to me and for your hearts. Pastor JJ has a couple of uh, instructions for us. So if you would, before you take off, listen to Pastor Jay.